So glad you're here with us. Thanks for joining us. And I uh, believe you're going to have a blessed day. Uh, Pastor Brent and family, um, getting to spend some time with their family uh, out of town today. They send their love and uh, wish they could be here. Uh, but I have the privilege of uh, sharing some thoughts with you as we wrap up uh, this year. Can you guys believe this is 2019 and we're wrapping it up? I was just thinking, man, just yesterday I was talking about 1999. It was going to roll over into 2000. All the computers were going to freeze up. The world was going to end. Do you guys remember all of that? All the fear? And uh, here we are getting ready to roll into 2020. Um, I want to talk for just a few moments this morning about how to finish strong. Uh, how to finish strong this year. Uh, we've got a few more days. How to finish strong in your life, uh, in your marriage, uh, with your kids, in your job, in your finances, uh, in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, how to finish strong in that. Uh, and so hopefully I can share some principles that are going to help us to, uh, to just finish this year strong and enter into 2020 the right way and to move forward just positioned uh, for everything that God has for us and wants to do uh, in our lives. Pastor Brent, uh, if, you've, if you've been listening, you've heard him talk a few times about uh, January and doing 25 days of prayer, fasting, and fitness. Has everybody heard about that? Everybody kind of hearing the word? More information is coming out about that time to really focus on being healthy in every way, spiritually and physically and emotionally, mentally, and all of that as we begin this year. And so with all of that talk about that, I guess it should not have been a surprise a few weeks ago when I got a text message from Pastor Brent that included a YouTube link to a TED Talk by a guy by the name of Ogie Shaw and a talk called uh, winning the, the mental battle for physical fitness. Now, I, I got to tell you, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about my boss sending me a video about physical fitness. I mean, what's he really trying to say? What's the real point that's behind all of that? But actually, uh, it, it was an incredible video. I, I watched it and I recommend it to all of you. In fact, he may send that out to you. Found out that it was a group text that went out to the whole staff, so it wasn't just about me. Uh, but uh, really, really good. He's probably going to share that with you soon. But I do want to encourage you, just jump into that. 25 days of prayer, fasting, and fitness going to happen at both campuses and uh, starting on January the 7th. So be on the lookout for more information related to that. Uh, but today I'm talking about how to finish strong. Everybody look at your neighbor and just tell them, finish strong. Finish strong. Um, it's interesting to me that Paul, who wrote more books of the New Testament than anybody else, often compared our life and our faith to running a race. Uh, I've got some friends, I've got some family members who are serious runners. They, they run marathons, which I believe is 26 miles. I wouldn't know because I've never been there. Um, I've, got, I've even got a friend that runs what they call ultra marathons. I have to tell you that if the word marathon is preceded by the word ultra, that's not a good thing. But she actually, she actually does this. Um, for me, the memory that comes to my mind when it comes to running uh, is running the mile at a state competition in, in California many, many years ago. I realize you're looking at me right now and you're thinking, yeah, there's no way that that happened. Um, but when I was 16, I was lean. I was mean. Well, I wasn't mean. I was just lean. And I was, you know, athletic and I played basketball six hours a day. And so I thought that I was, you know, thought I could run. Um, and, 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 you know, now, no, it's never going to happen again. But 
I would play basketball for six hours a day. So it kept me in, you know, pretty decent shape. So we go to the state competition and they said, if you're going to enter into the basketball, if the, your team enters the basketball, you've also got to enter into other multiple events. And so I thought, well, let's just do something like the mile. I mean, that, you know, it doesn't matter if I win, doesn't matter if I lose, I'll just do that. And so I get in that and man, I had never run the mile before and I took off like a flash. I mean, I'm telling you back in the day, I was a gazelle. There was a lot of doubt and skepticism in the room right there. But uh, so I, I take off and I'm running as fast as I could. I'd never run this before. So I didn't know anything about pacing myself. I didn't know anything about how to run a good race and all that kind of stuff. So I just ran as fast as I could. And after a while, I was actually about 300 yards ahead of the first person behind me. And so I was like, man, this is, this is going really well. So I did one lap and then two laps. And I got three laps into this race. And I mean, literally, I, I think I could have, I, I think I could have walked in almost. But, but all of a sudden, after lap three, running at full out pace and not knowing what I was doing, I mean, it was just run forest run you know what I mean just just go for this thing and I ended up lying on the side of the track having lost the will to live anybody ever been there do we ever have any runners that know what I'm talking about right I started so strong but I didn't even finish and I'll come back to that a little bit later I don't know if, if wise King Solomon ever heard the story of the race between uh, the turtle and the rabbit but he did write some words that seem to apply to that in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He says this, I also saw something else here on earth. He said the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. Isn't that the truth? Paul, uh, he's talking about this race, this life, the faith that we have, uh, the race called the Christian life. It's not about how you start. It's not about how flashy you are. It's not about how fast you run. It's not about how pretty you run. It's about finishing strong. And Jesus actually said it this way. He said, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. It's not about who comes in first. It's that you cross the finish line. He that endures to the end shall be saved. So Paul, near the end of his life and ministry now, and he, he says something that's very interesting to me. Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. So Paul is finishing up his ministry, his life, he says, for I am ready, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept, or I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finish the race. But then he goes on and he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, or verse 8. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He's saying, listen, if we just cross the finish line, if we finish strong, if we don't give up, there is going to be a crown. There is going to be a prize for every single person. That's different than most sports that we know about. Everybody's getting geared up for the Super Bowl. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? There's only going to be one winner of the Super Bowl. When you have a foot race, usually there's only one, one winner of a foot race, right? But Paul says, no, it's not like that in the Christian life. Literally every single person who finishes wins. But that statement that he makes is pretty amazing when you think about it because so many people start strong and never finish. I'm thinking about even people that follow Jesus. You guys know the name Judas Iscariot. Think about this. Judas Iscariot was a man that walked with Jesus for three years. He was a man that actually was used 
to do supernatural things. There was a time when Jesus sent out all 12 of the disciples in groups of two, and they went out and they did miracles and signs and wonders, and they came back and they told Jesus about all of the things that had been done, including Judas Iscariot. Judas heard every sermon that Jesus preached. He sat there in discipleship meetings and being mentored by Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But in the end, he walked away. He didn't finish. There was a man, one of Paul's closest friends by the name of Demas, and Paul described it this way. He said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Didn't finish, didn't finish the race. So what's different about Paul? What is it that put him in such a position that at the end of his ministry and the end of his life, he could actually say, listen, with confidence, I fought a good fight. I actually did finish the race. I kept the faith. What is it that we have to build into our lives like Paul in order to finish the race strong? So let me give you some essentials for finishing strong. I'm just going to give you a few. There's probably dozens. And I would imagine we, we have some incredible, amazing athletes in our church family. They could probably speak to this a whole lot better than I could. But let me share with you three essentials that I can think of when it comes to helping us to finish strong. So write this down. Essential number one, I train consistently. I train consistently. Let me stick with Paul for just a moment here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is what he says. He says, don't you realize, he's talking about a physical race that human beings run. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So here's what you have to do. Here's the strategy. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. And so he says, because of that, here's what I do. He says, so I run with purpose in every single step. He said, I'm not just shadow boxing. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete. One translation actually says, I buffet my body. I decided against using that one because I kept seeing the word buffet. So I didn't figure that would get the point across well enough. So I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Think about what Paul's saying there for a moment. If I'm not careful to train consistently, even though I'm a man of God, an apostle, a church planter, there's a chance that I could get so sidetracked that even I could be disqualified in this race. So I'm going to train consistently, he said. Think about this. What would happen if we pursued spiritual fitness with the same intensity and the same purpose that many athletes train? What would that look like? Now, I'm going to ask you in advance to forgive me of the words that I'm going to use here because I'm I'm trying to apply this to training. So here's the first one that I want you to, to, to write down. This is what it looks like. I train consistently by stretching. Everybody say stretching. Stretching my faith. Let me give you a verse to go along with that. Okay, Exodus 14 and verse 16. The setting is Moses, Israel, standing in front of the Red Sea, the Egyptian army behind them. They're getting ready to be killed, to be slaughtered. It's, it's an impossible situation. And God says to Moses, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Here you are in a seemingly impossible situation. And God says, I want you to believe me for something greater than you have ever believed me before. Stretch out 
your hands. Stretch your faith. It's interesting that the Bible actually uses the phrase stretch out more than 40 times. And never once does it apply to a nap. Every single time, almost every single time that it's used, stretch out, it's referring to taking a step of faith, believing God for something great. You remember the story of Jesus where a man with a withered hand was there in the synagogue and Jesus looked at the man and he said, you want to be healed? Stretch out your hand. Take a step of faith. Believe me for something greater than you ever had before. So I train consistently by stretching my faith. But that's not all. I also train consistently by lifting. Everybody say lifting. Lifting my hands and my heart. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. Lift your hands to God. Look at this. Lamentations 3 verse 41. This is Old Testament. It says, let us lift up our hearts. Let us lift up our hands to God in heaven. Why do we do that? Why do you look around sometimes? You'll see people with their hands up. It's because it's an act of worship. Why do we lift our heart up? It's because it's an act of surrender and it strengthens us for the race. Let me give you another one. We stretch our faith. We lift our hands, our heart. But we also train consistently by running. Everybody say running. Running, running to God in prayer. I know this is stretching it a little bit. Running, running to God in prayer. But I like this verse, Proverbs 18 and verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. We run. He says we run to the name of the Lord. Listen, when we talk about the name of the Lord, we're not talking about just a word. We're not talking about just you know letters that have been put together to sound something out. To the Hebrew mind, the name of the Lord was equivalent to the Lord himself. You remember that verse that said, uh, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God? Okay, again, not just an exercise in memory where they're trying to remember how to pronounce the name. When they remembered the name of the Lord, what they were remembering was how God had revealed himself to them through his exploits. Because every time he did something new, his name was expanded. They learned something new about his character. When you read Genesis chapter 1, it says in the beginning uh, God created. That word God in the Hebrew is just the word Elohim, which means strong one. It can be used about anyone. But as as the scripture progresses and as God does miracles and signs and wonders, he reveals more about his name to where he's not just Elohim anymore. You guys remember the word Jehovah? Remember the phrase, I am? All of a sudden, God in the Old Testament reveals through his name, I am your savior, and I am your deliverer, and I am your healer, and I am your redeemer. He reveals that through his name. So he says, look, I'm going to remember the name of the Lord. When I'm in trouble, I am going to run to the name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Something powerful about running to God in prayer. But let me give you another one. We also train consistently by being coachable. Everybody say coachable. Woo, this one's not as fun. (laughs) Every once in a while, God disciplines us. And he does so not because he hates us or is mad at us or is angry at us or is not proud of us or is dissatisfied with us. He disciplines us because he loves us. In fact, the Bible says those whom he loves, he disciplines He does it because he wants what's best for us. And so he corrects us, whether it's a a sin in our life or a habit that's not healthy or whatever it might be. God basically says, look, this is not healthy for you. This is not what's best for you. And he lovingly provides some course correction. He says, listen, the way you're running this race is going to exhaust you. 
If you keep putting your, your feet down in just that way, you're going to develop blisters that you really don't have to develop. If you keep running this way, if you don't stretch, you're, you're going to pull a muscle. You're going to hurt yourself. And so here's some correction. And the best thing we can do is to be coachable, to be teachable. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can somebody say amen to that? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I need to train consistently. But that's not the only essential for winning this race. There's something else we have to do in this race, and that is I drink deeply. I drink deeply. I've read, and I realize that this varies for different people, but I've read that you can really only survive without water for about four days. Depending on your age, depending on your health, that might go down a little bit, that might go up a little bit, but about four days is all we can handle without water. And it's very important, especially important for a runner, someone in a race, because we have to stay fully hydrated. And the reason why is because the water that we consume actually serves as a sort of coolant. As we're running the race, our body is going to start overheating and that triggers something in our brain. And our brain will send a message, a signal to our sweat glands and we start to sweat as a way for the body to cool itself down. But the problem is if you continue to sweat and you don't continue to drink, you're going to experience dehydration. Has anybody ever experienced dehydration? I could tell on my son, because he's not here to defend himself, when he was about 15 or 16 years old, he went to a paintball camp up in the foothills of California, and it ended up, I don't think they were expecting this, but it ended up being like 103 degrees or something like that. And Luke was just determined, I am not going to feel one paintball that hits me. So I'm going to wear layer after layer after layer. He literally wore five layers of clothes and put a hoodie on over that. He said, I got this covered. And you know where he ended up. He ended up in the hospital because he dehydrated and he had to be rehydrated, right? They had to hook him up and, and, and put, start putting some moisture back into his, his body. What dehydration is, is when we're losing water content faster than we're taking it in. That's dehydration. So if you want to finish strong, you've got to stay hydrated. And there's a couple of important things in the New Testament that are connected to this idea of water and internalizing. Let me read to you one from Ephesians 5, verse 26. This is about the church. And it says that Jesus wants to make the church, that's all of us, wants to make us holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. It's interesting that the word of God is often referred to as water. And that we can internalize that. We literally rehydrate by getting into the Word of God. Some of the things that it does is it helps to wash away the toxins in our system. As we hydrate, the toxic thinking gets replaced by the Word of God. And now all of a sudden we're thinking God's way about situations. When we begin to internalize the Word of God, we begin to hydrate on the Word of God. It builds up our resistance and our stamina for the race. This is one of my favorite verses. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. There's something about internalizing it that gives us strength in the race. So it's connected to water, but then it's also connected to something else in the New Testament. It's so important. This is Jesus speaking, John chapter 7, and it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, 
Jesus stood and cried out. And he said, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers. So what, what is he talking about? What is this thing that he's going to give us that's going to produce rivers of living water? Next verse says, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. There's something about the spirit of God that hydrates. It fills us. It provides the strength, the nutrients that we need. This is interesting. We're going to go back to Paul. Because he makes an interesting statement back in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I realize that in this context, Paul actually does use the word drunk. And so that's an issue that, that can be addressed. But I want to point to something just a little bit different because I was, I, was, I was just checking it out. I was wondering, hey, what if somebody decided I don't want to just drink purified water when I run this race, I think I'm just going to have some nice glasses of wine while I run in this marathon. Well, first of all, I'm not sure you'd stay in a straight line, but uh, there is actually scientific research out there. And I discovered that the consumption of alcohol actually increases the rate of dehydration. Isn't that interesting? It's a liquid. It's from the fruit of the vine. You'd think, wow, I should be able to drink this and I should be hydrating. But, it, but actually, alcohol dehydrates us. And Paul says, listen, don't be drunk with wine. That's not the best way to get hydrated. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And what's interesting here is that the Greek tense, it's a little more complicated than this, but basically, the Greek tense here is a present active indicative, which means this could be translated, keep on being filled with the Spirit. This is not just a one-time occurrence. This is something we need to do all of the time. In fact, you and I were not designed just to survive on one drink of the Word or one drink of the Spirit any more than you could run a 26-mile marathon on one bottle of water. We need to hydrate all of the time, drinking deeply of the Word and deeply of the Spirit. So I train consistently. I drink deeply. And let me give you one more. Gary, you can come help me. I focus eternally. I focus eternally. I can remember trying to run that mile. Seems like yesterday, sort of. And I got to tell you, I got distracted by a couple of things. First of all, this thought hit me. You hate to run, and here you are running. And this is not like the 100-yard dash where you start and you go down a little ways and you stop. This is on a circular track that never ends. And if you keep running at the pace you're running, and if you win, you have to go to nationals and run this all over again. <laughs> and right there is where I lost the will to live. Laid down on the side of the track and said, I'm done. <laughs> but I also got distracted because I kept looking around at the other runners. How far ahead am I? How far behind me are they? And anybody that runs knows it's not a good practice to keep your eyes on everyone else. I was talking to one of this friend that runs in these ultra marathons. And she talked about people that didn't finish and how they actually have a label for them on the chart. They write it down. D-N-F. Did not finish. 
She said, because many of them just drop out. They're not able to, to finish the race. Then there are others who actually do finish, but they do so with great damage to their bodies and to their mind because they didn't run the race in the most healthy way. Talked about how people, some people can't handle the mental aspect of the race. They're not able to focus to push past the pain and the, the blisters and maybe even the weather and all of that. She said, if you get distracted enough, you won't finish it all. And so Paul says, look, I understand this principle. He says, so I focus eternally. I have to get my eyes off of my temporary circumstances. I've got to get my eyes off of my inadequacies. I've got to get my eyes off of my inabilities. And I've got to get my focus back where it belongs. So check this out. This is what he says. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. So, we don't look at the troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now, they're soon going to be gone. But the things that we cannot see, they last forever. I may not see the answer to that prayer just yet. But I can focus on a God who can. I may not see the end of this journey yet. God rarely shows us the end of the journey. I may not be able to see that. But I can put my focus on a God who can see the end of the journey and knows every step I'm going to take. I can keep my eyes on the prize. And by the way, the prize is not just a trophy. The prize is Him. I can keep my eyes on Him and know that God has a plan for me and God has a purpose for me. I want you to look how focused Paul was as he's wrapping up his life in ministry. We're now in Acts chapter 20. And this is what he says. He says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. He's fixed. He's, he knows what his path is in terms of the direction that he's going to go. But then he says, not knowing what will happen to me there. There's uncertainty. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know what that journey is going to look like. Might be smooth, might be rough. In his case, he said, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. You talk about distractions. He's running the race and he already knows in advance there's going to be hardships, probably going to end up in jail. But then he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. And this is what it is, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 24 of Acts chapter 20, speaking of all of those distractions, he says, but none of these things move me. I am fixed. I am running this race. I am not going to let things distract me and cause me to run left, to run right. I am going to run this race and push aside the distractions. Listen, I realize that many of us as we're finishing this year, we're facing some significant distractions in our lives. Maybe it's financial. 
Maybe it's a family thing. Nothing like the holidays to bring us very close to family situations. Maybe it's something else in our, in our life, in our heart. And my prayer for every one of us today is that we would not be distracted, that none of these things would move us, and that every one of us would finish strong. Not just this year, but in this walk with God, this Christian life, this faith, that we'd finish strong. Let me pray for you. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Father, today I pray for every person, every person here today, God, whether they're at the U-City campus or the Shaw campus or stepping into the light, God, I just pray right now for every single one that you would help us to have the attitude of Paul. That no matter what distractions we might face, that none of these things would move us from your plan and your purpose in our life. I pray that we would finish this year, that we would finish this race, this Christian life, that we would finish strong. I pray that you would help every one of us in this moment to begin to train consistently. God, to stretch our faith, to lift our hearts, to lift our hands to you, to run to you in prayer. God, I pray that you'd give every one of us a coachable spirit, a teachable heart, God. I pray that you would remind us, remind us daily to drink deeply of your word, God, to drink deeply of your spirit, to not forget to stay spiritually hydrated, God. We need that. And I pray, God, that when the distractions come, and they will come, God, we know that. You said that in this world we would have trouble. God, we know distractions will come, but I pray that you will help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us to focus on the eternal God and not the temporal. God, I pray that you would help every single person. Help us finish strong in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. If you receive that, would you guys just say amen? Amen.